With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this edition of Peak to Pit. I'm Allie Peak alongside TJ Pinninger. The day after the Super Bowl, are you recovered? I am definitely recovered. Like, we didn't get, get too crazy around here. Um, but I'm super congested and have a head cold, so I'm not recovered from that. Um, uh. But, you know, I'll be okay. I'll, uh, I'll find a way to fight through it. So, um, but yeah, Super Bowl was great. I don't know if you guys did anything crazy or not. We just had a couple people over and made way too much food. Um, we had just finished up a round of Whole Thirty, which if you don't, if you're listening to that, you don't know what that is. If you're listening to this and don't know what that is, um, you are listening on a device that can look up any information <laughs> in human history. So let Google be your friend. Um, so we had just finished up a round of Whole30 where you pretty much just eat everything natural and good for you. And so just ate a bunch of crab food and didn't feel great afterward, but uh, enjoyed the game. And I'm sure we'll get into that here in a little bit. What would you guys do? Uh, we had some of our family over. Um, all the kids you know, all the kids were over. We uh, Honestly, most people left right around kickoff because all my siblings have children the same age as our children and they had school today. So – they needed to uh, get to bed, except for my derelict children, who I let stay up and watch the entire game because they were into it. And who am I to squelch the dreams of five-year-olds cheering on the Chiefs? Um, <laughs> so we went late to school today because my children didn't wake up until 8.30, which if you've ever been in my house on a Saturday morning is like might as well be noon. Um so, yeah, we were – the Wilbur children were wild yesterday. But the babies did me a favor, went to bed at 11.30 last night and didn't wake up till 6.45 this morning, which has literally never happened. Yeah, so. I was going to say, is that the first time that's happened? Is that the longest oh my they God. slept? Absolutely, and it probably will never happen again. And I guess if you're going to only give me one day, giving me the day after the Super Bowl is pretty nice. That's a pretty good, yeah, trade-off. So, um so we'll get kind of right into it. The Chiefs 
And the, first of all, the Super Bowl was great. I thought it was really, really good. Um, it wasn't as crazy high scoring as people thought. You know, the um, Vegas finds a way to win this. Like 86% of people, I think we talked about last game, were on the over. And, mm-hmm. of course, the under hit. Um, right. Um, not as high scoring, but I thought the game was really, really good. Again, coming off of last year's Super Bowl, which was just terrible. It, it wasn't very difficult for a game to be better. But I thought the Super Bowl but was great. But it was good. It was, it was, it was such very a good entertaining. game. Yeah. It, didn't, it wasn't scoring every single drive, but it was very entertaining. Um, the 49ers defense started out really, really well. Um, their game plan looked good. They were moving the ball well enough. Mahomes looked normal, uh, as opposed to just amazing like he normally does. And it got off to a really good start. Like I thought the, I mean, the game finished well too, but I just thought overall the game was pretty fantastic to watch, pretty entertaining, you know, throughout. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a really, I, I thought it was a really good game. I, like I told you, I thought the 49ers were going to win, which I do. Well, I'm sure we'll discuss, but you won our bet. Um, and I will pay up because I'm, I always pay my bets, but, um, I, you know, it was close, which is what I think we both kind of thought was, was coming. But do you ever pay attention to the ESPN's win expectancy? You know how they like, they put it up on their website. If you're watching the game, if you're like following, um, live on their website and sometimes they throw it up on the bottom of the screen if a game is on ESPN and it it tells you like basically the calculated uh win percentage for the team that has the ball at like any given moment yes yeah so I didn't follow it at all last night just different things going on and I wasn't really on my phone just on the ESPN app but if I'm you know just following a game on not watching it live, then I see it all the time. So yes, I'm okay. familiar with it. So I watched it a little bit last night. Not not a ton, but over the course of 12 offensive plays, the Chiefs went from having a 3.9% chance to win to a win expectancy of 77.7%, which is insane. So they were they were trailing 20 to 10 and then all of a sudden were leading 24 to 20 over just the course of those 12 offensive plays. But I, I don't know. I thought that was kind of cool. I'm, I'm a little bit of a numbers geek um, at times. And I just thought that was wild how fast things can change. And I don't know, like, I, I think they had just started doing it around the time of the kick six. And that went from like Alabama having a 99.9% chance of winning um, to obviously losing that game. And I, I don't know. I just always find those things so interesting, but I mean, the Chiefs found a way to win, and I think that that's obviously what makes great teams. But this was such a fun Super Bowl. It's fun when it's close. It's fun when you feel like these guys are out there fighting. It's fun when it comes down to the last couple of plays. Um, it's what it's what we we hope for in a championship game. Yeah, and you know, I think the Chiefs were the better team going into the game. I thought for most of the game, San Francisco played better. Um, But we talked about this last week or the week before. Um, The Chiefs are kind of like the Warriors were a couple of years ago, where they can just go on a crazy run 
in the blink of an eye, right? Like I want to say they were, they hadn't scored yet with like six and a half minutes remaining. And then they scored three times in, you know, five minutes for, you know, two forty one So three forty. Yeah. In like six and a half minutes, you know, and that's just, I mean, three touchdowns is a lot. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> the 49ers didn't score three touchdowns all night and the chiefs did it in like five or six minutes. Um, you know, so I think that it never really felt like it was out of reach for Kansas city. It never felt like San Francisco had put the game away by any means. And, right. you know, you can pull out whatever cliches you want when you let a team hang around and especially a team that has Patrick Mahomes and, you know, the speedsters they have a wide receiver and the playmakers they have, you know, you're going to, you're going to chance losing that. So, right. um, and that's what happened. I, I just, you know, Patrick Mahomes is such a stud and he, I, I, there were times you said it where he looked almost normal, but when, when it mattered right at the very end. I mean, he, he, it just is astounding to me that he's 24 years old. Well, it's, it's so incredible just that he has come in and been able to dominate like somebody that you never really heard about in college, like wasn't right, highly sought right. after in the pros. Um, Andy Reed in, in Kansas city was very confident in taking him. Um, knew that he would kind of be the guy like I, you know, I, I'm sure you follow them too, but the old takes exposed, um, you know, retweeted some stuff back in the day of different people saying like, how could they even think about drafting this guy when they've got us a, a proven guy like Alex Smith um, at quarterback and Kansas city kind of saw the way they wanted to go about this and did it and obviously are much the richer for it. But just his, like you said, he looked normal at times last night. He didn't look like he was uh, all the way there. You know, San Francisco played really well, too. Like, not to just put it all on Mahomes not being great. Oh, but for sure. Just to stick around and and not really let that bother him, right? Like, And that's what a lot of the grades do at any level, right? Like, you can be terrible the whole game and make a big shot. I mean, there were several times, I and mean, we talked about him a ton last week, but there have been so many times that I can remember Kobe just being terrible for like three and a half quarters. But then it got into crunch time and the game was close and he'd put it away. Or you think yeah. about uh, Jameis not playing really well in the first little bit of the national championship and then leading the team back. And you think about, you know, there have been games where Brady, Patrick Mahomes just yeah. died a little inside you comparing him to Jameis Winston, by the way. I mean, he got Kobe the, the the comparison before, but I mean, if you yeah. think about the greats in championship and in games like that, like I can remember Brady not playing super well in some games, but then always being there to to drive his team down at the end of the game and and get that game winning touchdown. So, um, well, what does it say? Big players make big plays on the big stage. I mean, you it, you know you do what you got to do when you. Uh, he, but he was great. He was he was fantastic. I think um, it, it Andy Reid just diamond in the rough, um, and not that not to say that Patrick Mahomes was needed a whole lot of work for him. But you're but we didn't hear about him. Nobody knew who he who he was. He wasn't somebody that like 
you know, was favored to win a Heisman or that we saw on the national championship stage or that really like anybody knew who he was at all. And so the fact that he at 24 is a Super Bowl champ, Super Bowl MVP, um, makes Andy Reid look like, look like a genius, honestly. Yeah, without a doubt. And I mean, you know, of course they are because Vegas, everything else, but I mean, the lines are already out and I know it's really, really hard to repeat, but like they're the favorite to win it again next year and will be for a while. Like he's the best player. I mean, I know Lamar won the MVP, but you know, Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the league. You know, it's not even close. You know, Lamar may have had a better season, the MVP trophy in a lot of different, uh, realms whether it's the Heisman or in the NBA or NFL or whatever it's just you know what's the new flashy thing but Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the league and he's 24 you know like he's just dominating everybody and doesn't get rattled just really entertaining to watch and I was glad they won like I felt myself at at different points of the night kind of cheering for both teams Um, I really liked that San Francisco was winning and I kind of thought the upset would be cool if they could have held on to it um, but I mean, he's a lot of fun to watch and I wasn't upset that he was, you know, able to find he a comes, way to come back and win. He comes across as so down to earth and likable, relatable, like unfazed by this newfound stardom, which is something that I fully appreciate as well, because you definitely, uh, you know, when you're 24 and you all of a sudden come into the situation that he's come into, it, it changes a lot of people, you know, and that's, uh, it, that's just the reality of it. And so the fact that he just, I don't know, he seems so normal, makes me like him even more. I don't know if you saw, um, there, there's obviously cool stories that come out the whole Super Bowl. Um, week, but there was a story that I read about how he and his girlfriend, which by the way, she's adorable. They kept showing her last night, his girlfriend from high school, which I also love, uh, having been a longtime player girlfriend. And then obviously now wife, it's very easy to spot the people that jump on at the right time. If that, uh, if that makes sense, you know, that, see an opportunity to, to strike. She's a high school girlfriend. She's been a lo- around well before he'd ever made a dime. She probably paid for things over the course of his college because that's what generally happens with the girlfriends of, you know, college athletes that can't afford to have a job or, you know, whatever, because of their, their sports, they don't have the time to do it. But the fact that she stuck around and she's there, she's adorable. Um, Eric was saying, they're 24 and he's got bajillions of dollars. Why are they not engaged? So I'm sure that that will probably become come next. But anyway, so the story that I heard is that they were at dinner at a pizza restaurant in Kansas city and everybody recognized him, but nobody came up and said anything to him. They just, you know, let him and the girlfriend have their dinner. And, um, you know, they got up to leave and I guess, you know, again, people kind of whispering and stuff, but nobody, nobody interrupts him. Nobody says anything to him. And I guess he gets to the door and he turns around and he, he said, Hey, thanks for letting us eat our dinner in peace. Uh, Kansas city chiefs fans are the best or something to that effect or whatever and leaves. Well, as each table goes to get their check, they're told that he has paid it. And he paid the, the check for every table in the entire restaurant because he was, I guess, relieved to be able to have a meal without being bombarded by people wanting his autograph or to talk to him or whatever else. And I just thought that was a really cute story. 
Um, for sure. No, seems like an absolute good guy. Like, you know, and you want to root for, for people like that, that, that do good things for other people that, you know, are somewhat humble. Um, you know, everybody's got a little cocky to them if they're at this level, but yeah. Well, and you need that to win. So that's okay. Yeah. But guys that can, I don't know, just seem like genuinely or relatively or whatever, just like good people. Um, yeah. do you guys do that out up here in Wesley chapel? Like when people notice you guys or, or have well, you, have you if anybody ever yet? lets uh, recognizes us, I will let you know. <laughs> um, so far, uh, almost four years of being back and no one's recognized us. So no worries there. Could be just around the corner. Maybe it'll happen at Woody's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was fun. So talking about the game a little bit more, but I, uh, again, never really felt like Kansas City was out of it. And I think that's because uh, San Francisco just didn't do enough. Like a 10-point lead against this team was just never going to be enough. Um, right. San Francisco scored a touchdown and to go up by 10 – and then Kansas City's got this long drive that lasts over five minutes. It's 12 plays over 50 yards. And then um, Mahomes throws a pick, right? And right. so at that point, San Francisco needed to do something. They couldn't. They ended up punting. And then Kansas City goes on another – they had just driven down 50-plus yards – they get the ball back again, go on another long drive, 83 yards, score to make it a three-point game, and then San Francisco goes three and out, and you know the game's over, right? Um, San Francisco was able to drive a little bit after going down, but they ended up turning the ball over on downs, and uh, Kansas City scored again to put it out of reach. But I just didn't think – and I didn't think San Francisco's offense was there kind of all night anyway, right? Like they – you know, they had scored 20 points, but they'd only gotten the ball in the end zone twice, uh, added a couple of field goals, got stopped a few times. You know, I didn't think that they did enough in the second half there with their opportunities. Up two scores with the ball, they got one first down and had to punt. Got the ball back again, up by three, three and out. Got the ball back again, down by four. They were able to drive to like the 50. Uh, but just couldn't capitalize, couldn't get the first down there. So the Chiefs defense stepped up. I, I was never super impressed with San Francisco's offense anyway, um, but they just get, didn't get enough. And again, you when you have a chance to put a team away, I mean, you've just got to, and, and you can't let Mahomes stick around, and they did. It kind of all happened like like I thought it would, so – Actually, I thought it, it didn't happen. You know, I wouldn't say it happened like I thought it would. I thought it might. Uh, I thought it might actually be a lot bigger than than that was. Or you know, the the game wouldn't be as close as as it was. I mean, I know the final score ended up being eleven, but uh, but anyway, the game was still great. I I enjoyed it, and so now we've got a long time until football comes back. I know, and it is. It's really sad. I like I was telling Eric halfway through the game yesterday I was like oh my god this is the last football game for what almost nine months like oh 
I, I, it, it's sad to even think about, but I, you know, if you had to pick one thing that you think the game came down to last night, what would you say that it is? Hmm. I mean, I think, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know if you're looking for a different answer than this. I can give a different one if, if you well, I'm not looking for any much. particular. I just am interested in your, you know, your specific opinion. Because there were two things that I, like, I don't know, that, that I thought about. But what is what do you think? Well, I mean, my initial reaction was to just say that Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the league. You know, and right. so that's what the game came down to. If that answer is a little too broad, I mean, you know, I think that it, you know, I've got two more than another broad one and then a specific one. But um, secondly, I'd say kind of what I just said, that San Francisco didn't do enough with their opportunities. You know, that's just not the team that they are to be built. I thought that they should have run the ball a little bit more when they when they were passing it in the, in the second half. Um, but when they moved the ball, the passing game was working for them. So it's hard to say well, you should have just done this or done that. And then third, I, I mean, the biggest play of the game was that third and 15. You know, when they threw that third and right. 15 for 44 yards down the field, I don't know how you let their best player or their best weapon besides Mahomes get that open. Um, but they did, and when they got that, it was it – was, I think at that moment I was like, wow, San, you know, Kansas City just won this game because they're going to punch this in and, and be done. If they stop them there, it's fourth and 15 with, what, six and a half, seven minutes left – I don't know that they go for it there on their side of the field. If they do and get it, you know, they probably go on and win. But if they go for it and don't get it, they don't win. If they punt it there, they're getting the ball back with under five minutes to go down by two scores. So to me, that was the biggest play of the game, was that third and 15. So to answer your question so, with three different answers, what do you think? <laughs> okay, so, I mean, obviously I think the easy one is that um, Mahomes was better than Garoppolo on, you know, on the big stage. And I think, um, you know, it, it kind of came down to a couple of long passes there. And if it's going to come down to that, I don't think there's anybody on the planet who's going to take uh, Garoppolo over Patrick Mahomes in that moment. Like that's, that is the guy you want if it's going to come down to a long pass or two, uh, uh, you know, at least in my opinion, unless you could have Brady or, or whatever. I, I, Definitely, if you're picking between those two, you're going with Mahomes. But I thought it was really interesting to see the amount of heat um, that Shanahan took today. And a lot of the comparisons going on between um, when he was the offensive coordinator for Atlanta and they blew that huge lead um, in the Super Bowl, which, gosh, I'm trying to even remember, you know, whatever, what the um, what the score was. And that wasn't it like. 28 to three or, or 21, three, something like that. Uh, in the, uh, he blew that lead in the second half of the Super Bowl, and he got a whole lot of heat for that. And, um, <clears throat> I think that he's getting a lot of criticism today too, but I thought that, w I don't know for me, I think Shanahan's an awesome coach. He's 40 years old to think about the fact that he has already coached in a Super Bowl as a head coach at 40. He's been there as an offensive coordinator previous to that I think he will get his but I, I just I don't think enough can be said about the coaching job that Andy Reid did last night and for me that's he's the difference maker yeah I definitely think that there were like I said I mean you're always going to second guess this but I mean you know execution means so much like 
you can second guess things and say like, oh, they should have run the ball here. They should have done this. But like if Garoppolo hits on some of his passes, then you don't second guess those calls, right? Like so execution is still so important. Didn't he miss like a guy that was wide open and wide open in the NFL is half a step. I mean, this guy had like two steps on the defensive back. If he hits that guy in stride, I mean, it's a touchdown. They win the game. Well, it's interesting that he is taking so much heat for not running the ball as much as, you know, people think that maybe he should have, because isn't that exactly what he took the opposite of what he took heat for in the Atlanta Patriots game was that he ran the ball too much. Right. So it's the, I mean, people always need somebody to blame. No matter what it is, no matter what happens, it is very much just, hey, we want to blame this guy. We'll we'll assign blame here. It's because he didn't throw the ball. But at the end of the day, it's execution. Like, if your guys aren't executing, even, even we, you know, there's nothing that drives you crazier than when a coach does get conservative and, and you know, I, air quotes around the conservative, but, and just runs the ball. Well, I mean, there's there's a difference in being obvious in running the ball, but if your coaches run the ball with eight minutes to go, and your guys execute their blocks, and the running back hits the right lane, like it sh- it shouldn't matter. Now, if if they load the box and the quarterback does an audible out of it, I mean that's kind of on him. But like a- execution means so much, and not that you can just go into a halfback dive seven plays in a row and expect it to work, but it's very convenient to blame the coach um, when in reality, if players make plays, it, it doesn't matter. You know, it's a, it, I, I think he was trying to score more. He knew that a 10 point lead wasn't enough. And that that's kind of what he thought was the best way to do that. But to answer your question, do, yeah, all, all credit to Andy Reid. You know, he's, do you go ahead? I was just gonna say he's one of the more likable guys in the NFL. Even when he coached for Philly, like I don't feel like I hated him. Like I hated the rest of everything to do with Philly. So I think Andy Reid is super likable. Everybody was, you know, unless you were a San Francisco fan or had some kind of allegiance there. Um, kind of everybody wanted to see him win. Everybody was pretty excited for him and happy. It just kind of seems like one of the true good guys in the NFL. So you know, not only that, but he called a great game and. Um, put his team in great positions to win. Didn't let him get too down when they were throwing picks and making mistakes. And so, all credit to him. So, sorry, what were we going to ask? Do you, I was going to say, do you think that coaches get a little bit more leeway and players get a little bit more blame in the pros than in college? Because um, you know, you made the statement that like players need to execute, which obviously is the name of the game, regardless of the level. But uh, do you think that sometimes we say like, okay, well, they should have been coached up better. They're college players. But then in the pros, we make the assumption that they are being coached up better. So if something goes wrong, it's more likely to be the player's fault than the coaches. I think there's some – so this is something I've just thought up. So I don't know that there's any like truth to this, but this is my thought. I think in in college, it's easier to – In college, the coaches, I mean, at least from my perspective, are more of fixtures, right? And the players are just so here today, gone tomorrow. Where in the NFL, the coaching carousel is so much faster. And and at least for your, like, blue blood blood programs, right? Like, Florida State's had, what, four coaches now in 40 years. 
before. Are you considering Florida State a blue blood? I don't know how you want to quantify blue blood, but I would say Florida State's a top 15 program of all time, and I'd say Florida is right in that range too. And we can go through uh, those when we're done with the Super Bowl. Yeah, we're going like. to have to have that discussion another day because I would. the quick answer is you're dead wrong, but we'll we'll save that for another podcast. I mean, the other quick answer would just be that in the time that both teams have been relevant, they've virtually had the same identical success. Like in the in the in the time from the 70s on, like Florida and Florida State are mirror image programs. Um, I wholeheartedly disagree, but I mean, Florida state has in that time period, Florida state has more wins, the same number of national championships and the same number of Heisman's more bowl wins, more first round draft picks. I don't know how I else think you you're want just to... making half this stuff a- up. So absolute, I will have, to... I mean, you know, on Heisman's and national championships and well, and those I can and, check and, you know. the draft picks, the, the overall wins, uh, the bowl wins, all of those things. I question until I verify on my own. However, I will completely okay with that. I will say if we're, if the, you get to factor in the conference you play in, then Florida state should have about twice as many wins than Florida does in all of those categories. But however, regardless, however you you want to quantify that, all right, well, I that was since, a tangent. I think since we'll, like night, I think I want to say since since Bowden has been here, uh, it's like since Bowden took over, right? Like since the program actually gained validity, I want to say the all time records nearly split as well. Like before Bowden got here, obviously Florida State was really, really terrible, and Florida reeled off a ton of um, wins. So, but I, I do want to say that Until you get a coach well. you like, you don't. So that means I get to subtract the McElwain years uh, and the Muschamp years, right? Now, if we get to all, I don't, start I, um, I think our that, history I think that so you're choose. way smarter than to, to think that that's the argument that I was making. My <laughs> argument was when the program gained relevance, like right. when the program turned around. I mean, because I could subtract Taggart and everything else since then. Well, I mean, honestly, Florida... Since Florida State has been a competitive (laughs) program, yes, then then it's been fairly even. In your lifetime, we could just start there. We could start in your lifetime. We could start in mine, and it would would all come out to the same answer. Well, again, we will have a whole podcast on this. We have a whole offseason to discuss a lot of (laughs) random topics. But but to go back, to go back, I think that players – I mean, would you – I mean, you can answer – let's answer this. Would you have Florida State as a top 15, 20 program all time? Just Mm, all the time Probably. Yeah, Probably. All right, very good. I just needed to make sure of where we stood on this because I was because we were going to stop everything right now and list the twenty that you had ahead of Florida State. <laughs> um, so, all that said, so your your mainstays in college football. Your, I mean, I'm just going to use the word blue blood. I don't know what else to use, but like your top fifteen, twenty, like the coaches are more of a constant. It's not a revolving door. I mean, even at Michigan, like the blue blood of blue blood, like there, Harbaugh has just been a fixture there. And so in the NFL, I think that it's much more, like your players are your stars. Well, in college, you don't get attached right. to players like that because they're gone in three years if they're any good. Um, 
And so, yeah, I think it's a lot. I mean, you're not going to blame Nick Saban because you know Nick Saban's level of success. You know, it's much easier to blame, uh, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids than it is to blame Jimbo Fisher or Urban Meyer or just any of these guys that have, you know, Dabo or anybody else, these guys that have won national championships. Um, you're going to to blame you know, the kids got to execute or the kids got to do this, do that. Whereas in the NFL, these guys are making millions of dollars. Um, and I, I don't think they get the same with leeway. I think they blame, you blame the coaches more. Oh, I'm sorry. You Which blame is, the, yeah. You, you blame the coaches more. Yeah. That's what I, that's. I, and I don't know why, I, I don't know that I'm right about that. I just kind of think that that's what I've made up for this question. <laughs> Okay, well, I mean, I'll take it as, Why as an do you answer. Think? I th- do, you have, do you have any theories on that? Um, I mean, I think that we are more careful when we discuss college players to place blame on them, but that we make the assumption that it's the player, not the coach, um, that that messes up because we're talking about amateurs versus somebody who is literally coaching for their livelihood. Um, and so we kind of give the coaches the benefit of it out there. And we make, we do make the assumption that the mistake's probably not Nick Saban. It's probably, you know, 19 year old Joe Smith who has never played in, you know, Tiger stadium before whatever. And so is nervous. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I think we hold NFL players in a higher regard. Well, I it's mean, their job. Probably deservedly. So, I mean, they've made it to, they were the best of the best college players. And we probably hype up college coaches too much. You know, we probably give them too much credit, you know, um, for actually coaching. You know, right. when, you know, the stuff that I think makes college coaches great is, I mean, you, when you look at the three factors of, or the three aspects of coaching in, in college, it's recruiting, development, and actual game day coaching, right? Like, and I don't know what percentage you would assign to each of them, but I think that if you are truly, truly great at the first two, the last one doesn't matter at all. Like if you can recruit well and develop players well, you can, you can be just an average game day coach. Now everybody's a rah-rah guy. Like everybody's a hype guy. Like anybody can give a pregame speech, but I'm talking like actual X's and O's. The best coaches just hire other people to do that anyway, you know? And so I think if you can recruit really well. Now, if you don't recruit as well and you're really good at development and you're also really good at X's and O's, like it can, it can compensate for that. But like, I don't think you necessarily, like you just need to be good at two. Um, yeah, I think when that's a fair all, statement. I don't when think you're good at all three, you know, something absolutely extraordinary, stress, special, special can happen. Um, but yeah, I just think you need to well, be good Well, that's when too. you get a Nick Saban or something like that. But yeah, I think you're tr- I think you're right. I think you can be a well, I'm sorry, it broke out. Really, say that again. I said, uh, "Oh, you made me <laughs> you're making me repeat that you're right." Okay. Um, I think that you're right in that you have to be good at two of the three. And if you are good at two of the three, then you can be considered a really good coach. Not necessarily a great coach because obviously the great coaches are you know, good at all in all three areas, but that's, but if you're good at all three areas, that's where you get a Nick Saban. That's where you get an urban Meyer. That's where you get coaches that, you know, every program would beg to have. Um, I think a good example, 
So Dan Mullen, I think, has proven that he is really good at development and he's really good as a game day coach. We're kind of TBD on the recruiting this year has been, you know, uh, better than the, the year before. And I think that there's potential there for him to be a really great recruiter. I don't think that you can classify him as a really great recruiter yet. Um, but I think that that could, that, that happens and that's what gets Florida over the hump. I think you can look at, um, a coach like Kirby smart. And so far, I think that Kirby smart has shown that he is a great recruiter. I think he is pretty decent at developing talent. I personally don't think he's a great, uh, game coach, you know, day of, uh, execution coach. And so, and I think that's part of why, uh, Georgia hasn't been able to get over that hump, even though they've got, you know, as many five-star guys on their roster currently as Alabama yeah, and Clemson. About, I think it's about knowing your strengths too. Cause if you're not, you just, I mean, Dabble's not a good game day coach, so he just has really good coordinators, you know? And so but it's do kind we of know knowing... that he's not a really great game day coach. I mean, it may, it may yeah, be part of being that, a great, I think the fact that he doesn't call plays on no, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can get into kind of the semantics of that, but the fact that all he's there to do on game day is hype his guys up. I mean, yeah, but maybe I mean, I think it's that's your part place. of what makes you a great game day coach is that you know what your strengths and weaknesses are. Because I mean, potential. I, I think it just makes you a good CEO. But I mean, I I'm yeah, like I well, get, I mean, I kind of get that. The tank. thing is, is that he's been able to figure out a way to put it together. So if whether or not you, whether you have those strengths or you realize you don't have those strengths and you pass it off to somebody else, you're getting the job done on game day. There are coaches who either a haven't realized that they're not a great day of coach or B think that they are a great day of coach because they didn't pass it off to somebody else. Yeah. But I wouldn't, um, I, I mean, I get what you're saying there, but I wouldn't put, I mean, I wouldn't put Dabo I – mean, before I say something crazier, I mean, Dabo is a better coach than, than Mullen on the surface. But I wouldn't say Dabo's as good of a game day coach as Mullen is, you know, like pound for pound, you know. So, no, I don't and, think and pound I, for I don't pa- think, pound. I don't think knowing – I don't think knowing your limitations makes you necessarily good at something. I just think it makes you a good delegator, you know. Well, but, I mean, it, it makes you be able to figure out getting game day done. And sure. there are plenty yeah. of guys who haven't figured out how to get that done. Right. So, and I mean, I think the way that he's figuring out getting it done is figuring out that he needs to not be involved with it. Right. To, right. to ultimately give that up. I mean, and I think coaches can get, but I mean, but I still see what you're saying. Like, I think you can, it's kind of splitting hairs of how we, you know, I, when I think of a game day guy, like I'm thinking like the X's and O's guy. Of the, right. But, and I think coaches can, develop into that and I think they can develop out of it too like I'd say yeah, for Jimbo sure. Fisher from 2011-2012-2013 excellent recruiter excellent developer I mean he, he put Christian Ponder and EJ Manuel and different guys in the first round obviously went through a string of four quarterbacks going in the first round with Jamarcus Russell you know EJ right. Christian Ponder and then Jameis incredible developer, incredible recruiter. And he was a great X's and O guy for a couple of years. And then college football kind of changed and everybody went to the option and he still tried to run 
the offense that he needed a Jameis or a Christian Ponder or an EJ Manuel, that pro style offense. And he kind of got lapped. Like he, he eventually had to adjust. Um, a lot of the issues that we had at Florida state were just the fact that we had guys like Deandre Francois and James Blackman and, and Sean McGuire and different ones trying to run the, the Jameis EJ manual offense. And it, it just didn't work. So uh, I think guys can be really good at it and kind of coach themselves out of it. And now you're seeing Jimbo kind of come back, right? Like now he's he is, you know, moving to the option more and stuff like that. So he's still an excellent recruiter. I mean, I don't really know much about his development right now. I don't know if you lose that or not. But he's somebody that, you know, could be kind of coming back with the um, game day stuff as well. Because he's too proud. Like he's never going to give that up. Like, you know, he's never going to say like, oh, okay, somebody right. else can come in and call these plays. Just, Just like, like, I mean, I don't right. think Mullen would ever give that up. You know, I think he's going to call. Well, I mean, early. I think it depends on what got you to where you are, too. Like, Mullen became a head coach because Mullen was a fantastic uh, play caller. And so I think, you know, if that's where your passion lies and you you are willing to keep up with the Joneses, because honestly, that's what it is, um, then you do what you need to do to do that. If you are calling plays because it's a means to an end, then you don't really care if once you, you know, make it to the top of whatever mountaintop you're looking at, you know, whatever, whatever program it is you want to be the head coach at, then you're more than happy to hand it off. It really just depends on what like motivates you as a coach. Yeah. And I think guys like that understand what gives their teams the best chance to win. You know, I would well, never say job. that. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, at some point, the ego has to get put aside for what's keeping your paycheck coming, which these guys know that. Um, so that was a pretty long tangent. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but it was good, so I didn't mind it. But so to kind of bring it back, so yeah, I think that, you know, I don't know that Shanahan deserves a ton of blame. Like, everybody deserves blame when a team loses, you know? It's it's not all – I mean, could he, have, could he have been more creative? Yes. Could execution have uh, hindered San Francisco? Sure. But, you know, whatever. Like, they lost. They, they lost to the team that was better and played better down the stretch, and that's kind of what mattered. So, um, do you have anything else on the Super Bowl? Halftime show, commercials? Uh, yeah, let's talk – well, first of all, do you feel like every single commercial was completely morbidly sad? Yeah, I think a lot of them were, and I have a negative outlook on commercials now, and so I didn't really focus on them that much. Like, I watched a few, but I just – I didn't even care that much. Like, well, I feel I like in the past, was, like, I've been like, very – like, I want to see them. Commercials used to be funny. They used to be enjoyable. You used to, like – come in the next morning at work and talk to everybody about, oh my God, you see this one? And now they just all suck. Like everybody's afra yeah. afraid of offending everybody. Everybody's soft. So instead we'll just do like, something that makes people cry because then nobody can say anything to us about it. Right. And um, so commercials I, just – It was – I don't know. They were wild. Like the whole thing was incredibly depressing. Like my brother and I were like, where are the Clydesdales or the – Budweiser frogs or like a really good Doritos commercial or something like what is going on? I felt like there was one Doritos commercial that has the, um, 
oh God, some song that my five-year-olds are into uh, in it. And so we thought that was cute because they liked that song. Um, but outside of that, they were all incredibly depressing or incredibly like divisive. Um, Super Bowl halftime show, though, I'm really interested to see what your opinion is on this because uh, judging from reaction today, I like people have real strong opinions about this. Um, I, I don't have a very strong opinion about this halftime show. Uh, I thought the show was. I mean, it it really doesn't take much to impress me or entertain me. Like most movies, I just leave and I'm like, well, that was pretty good. You know, like I'm I'm not like jumping out of my mind, but you know, I'm not like, oh, that movie was just terrible. Like I, it's happened a couple of times that I've turned a movie off. But so anyway, I thought the halftime show was entertaining. Um, I you know, knew maybe half the songs because you just know Shakira and JLo's music just because it's like party music and stuff. So I thought the halftime show was entertaining. I wasn't like, I mean, I know people are like super offended at the halftime show. Like I knew who Shakira and JLo were going into the show. So like I've, I didn't think that anything they did was out of their, kind of natural habitat or whatever you would call it. Like I, I wasn't super offended. I, I didn't think it was a bad show or anything. Like I was very much entertained by it. Um, it was just kind of your average halftime show to me. So I don't even have a very strong opinion here, but I know that people have them today. They're it's, very upset. It's crazy. Okay. So I thought it was great. First of all, I will preface it by saying I thought the halftime show was great. Um, I saw so many people that were like, oh my gosh, as a parent of daughters, I cannot imagine. I have small children and their eyes and oh my gosh. Like, so I have four daughters. I grew up in a really conservative household. I would like to say that we're pretty conservative in this house. I was in no way offended by this. I, I, do I think maybe JLo could have grabbed her crotch slightly less? Like probably, uh, but outside of that, like we are talking about a 50 year old woman and a 43 year old woman who honestly performed some of the most athletic feats performed on that field last night. When you think about the, the athleticism needed for JLo's pole dancing, like, and I'm not even being facetious, like I'm dead serious. It, that's astounding. And then you factor in her age. Like, I don't understand why we're not like bowing down to these women as being total badasses for uh, their performance. I, it is mind blowing to me that we're talking about how disgusting it is or how feminists should be in the uproar or people with children or whatever. Like I thought it was a great show. I thought it was totally fun. I thought it was completely Miami, which is the point because that's where the Super Bowl is. I thought it was neat that they incorporated tons of um, kids dancing. Like I, what a cool opportunity for all of those little girls. I think that these women are, are great role models. They are total badasses. So I was just, I was totally blown away. Like I thought it was lighthearted and fun. Now I did see the thing about the cages this morning, which totally did not cross my mind at all when I watched the show last night. And I don't know that neither one of them have said publicly that that was that imagery was purposeful or anything. So we don't even know if it really was, but like at the time the whole show came across as lighthearted and fun. And 
I think that's exactly what a Super Bowl halftime show is supposed to be. Yeah, and I don't know. I'm a big, you know, I, I don't believe this with everything in America, but I do believe pretty strongly that, you know, if you, you know, enjoy something and it doesn't really hurt anybody else and it's not like wildly inappropriate or just whatever, like if, if you enjoy something and it really doesn't impact anybody else, like just let people like leave people alone, you know, like if, if, if you're, if you were watching that with your kids and you got offended at what was happening on the halftime show, I mean, just change the channel, right? Like you just turn it back. Like you don't like nobody's forcing you to like, you know, you weren't tuned into like a Billy Graham sermon. You know, like you were, you were watching a, the Super Bowl in Miami, you know, like, I don't know. I just think people like to get fake outraged about everything. And it's funny too, that like both sides of the opposite ends of, of, of the spectrum are very offended at it. It's like the most conservative of conservative, like, Oh my gosh, my morals, like my, my children with their pure Christian eyes saw this. and I don't, I don't know what we're going to do. And then like, I don't even care who gets offended by this, but like the left of the left, you know, liberal feminists of you're degrading women and you're just so awful. It's like, this is probably the only time that these two groups are in agreement. And I mean, are united, right. other, but like, thanks to JLo and Shakira, like both of these groups right now are just united on a single front of uh, hating Miami halftime shows. So uh, props to, Props I to mean, these ladies for, for this. sure. <laughs> the the pearl clutching is just astounding to me. But you're right. Well, first of all, anybody that's watched a Super Bowl halftime anytime in the last, I don't know, 15 years since we saw Janet Jackson's nipple um, is should be very well aware of what could potentially be coming. So if you are in any way concerned, don't watch the halftime show with your kids. But I saw, a, you know, a, a few different pictures of which I remembered, but I wasn't really thinking about of Adam Levine from last year. And he is shirtless. His pants are a size too big. So they're hanging like so low that we almost need like a censored little bar so that nothing gets shown. And I don't remember anybody freaking out about that. So I don't understand how that is really any different than being in a sparkly spandex bodysuit. And uh, listen, I have told my husband this already. If my body looks like that at, at 50, please expect to see me walking around the grocery store naked every week because it will happen. <laughs> um, yeah, the, I mean, like I said, I knew who J-Lo and Shakira were going into the show. M- maybe people just didn't And so did the who- Super Bowl organizers who purposefully oh, picked no, them I'm, for exactly what they're for. Yeah, like I'm just wondering like, Maybe the people that are outraged right now just didn't realize who they were. But, like, you know, I'm not the biggest J-Lo. I'm not, like, not a fan. But, like, I'm not her biggest fan where I'm just, like, watching all her music videos. But, like, I know that I've seen music videos of hers that are way worse than anything that happened last night. Like, things that if they would have been last night, like, I would kind of agree with people. Like, all right, that's a little bit far. So, like... I didn't. I thought it was pretty tame. Like I didn't think it was that big of a deal. So I just think people like to get fake outraged over every possible thing that can happen. Um, and so, like you said, both ends of the spectrum, you know, 
the the five percent on on both sides cry the loudest, and the other ninety or eighty percent of people in the middle just thought it was either entertaining or not entertaining. Like if you just thought the show was kind of boring or it wasn't your style, like that's totally fine. Like I don't have a problem with people that prefer something different, but um, yeah, the people right. that are you don't like their the music, funniest. like that's not for you. That's that's totally cool. But the, like I literally saw people that were like, "How am I ever going to explain this to my daughter?" And it's like, what? Yeah, like you should just never mind. I'm not gonna say this. Um, <laughs> you've got to find. There are more important things to to you know be upset about. You know, uh, again, I mean, else. I guess just live in your bubble because I you can see way worse stuff on TV on at, at any given time. You can probably see way worse stuff you know in your own neighborhood at any given time. So I, I just I don't know. It just I feel like. As a mother of four daughters, uh, my, my daughter thought it was really cool, really fun, like awesome. Look, these are women at 50 putting on a show better than anybody half their age could. You can do anything you want at any age you want. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. No, I don't understand that freak out over it. So, um I mean, actually, I do. I do understand the freak out. Like, people just have to complain about just absolutely everything. And so that's what they did. So um, what else? Do you have anything else for the uh, for the Super Bowl? You want to wrap there? Yeah. No, I don't really have anything else for the Super Bowl. I just, we're going to mourn football being gone for a while now. Um, XFL starts this weekend. Are you going to watch it? Uh, potentially. Probably I mean, Tampa has a team. So like yeah. I'll watch this first game. I think we play on Saturday. I'm more likely to watch in a few weeks when I am like really desperate. But yes, I'll probably watch. Um, let's see here. Tampa has a team and I think plays Saturday, February 22nd. Uh, home opener. Is that at Ray J? I would assume. I would assume. Unless they split time. I mean, it's not indoor, right? So they wouldn't split time with the... Lightning, so my assumption is it's got to be at Ray J. Um, we should go. No, nah, I really don't want to go that much, but um, I'll watch it on TV. I think it, yeah, it is at Ray J. So I'll watch it on TV, and then we'll see how it goes from there. I just hope this doesn't fold yeah. in like four months. Like Antonio Callaway is on this team, so that's kind of exciting. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't I'm not. I don't know their roster or anything like that, but – It'd be kind of cool. Quentin Flowers is on this team, so he was a quarterback at USF. Aaron Murray's on this team. Yeah. He Stacey, was at uh, Stacy Coley's on this team. Tavares McFadden went to FSU. He was on. The, he's on this team. Um, Jacques Patrick is Jacques Patrick is on this team. Um, you know, I covered him in high school. Uh, yeah, Jacques Patrick. I he was on my. I used to host a high school sports radio show when I lived in Orlando. Uh, in addition to my morning drive time show, and he was on my show like I don't know ten weeks in a row or something. Yeah, CC Jefferson's on this team. Martez Ivy's on this team. Interesting. Um, so a whole bunch of big three rejects. So it'll be great. It'll be it'll be awesome. So I think I'm gonna watch. At I mean, least for like a like quarter have- or so. Yeah, might as well. It's not like you've got any other football to watch. It kind of just depends, though. Like, so I know we kind of went through all your other things, and like, if there's a good basketball game on, like, we're kind of getting to that point of the season. Um, not this weekend, but the next weekend is All Star Weekend. So, 
Um, that'll be fun. The Lightning are really killing it. Florida State's playing really, really well in basketball. Top eight team right now and just beat UNC at home. Um, so, yeah, I feel like there are other things going on that will kind of captivate my attention. It's not as good as football, but, like, all those other things combined help a lot. So Yeah. Um, well, I'll take one more thing to watch, though. You know, have options. I like that. Yeah, for sure. So, um, do you want to talk about basketball tonight? You want to push it till next week? We've gone for about an hour, so I don't mind uh, wrapping up. And we can push it till next week. I'm totally good with that. I had to talk about your uh, your blue blood bad takes. So, um, listen, we can move on. We're gonna have an entire podcast that'll probably be our longest that we ever do. On this topic, I just need the ability. I just can't do it. I I don't know that we can have this conversation. (laughs) Well, Um, I'm just telling you, I the the, there. I promise you, if you put a poll up that says "Is Florida State a college football blue blood?", you will not be happy with the results. So, I mean, I'll tell you this, and did no research at all. I googled college football blue blood programs in the. First result was an ESPN article going over the Blue Bloods in college football, and it has um, Florida tied for 11 and 12 with Georgia, and then Florida State right behind it at 13. So, well, I, you know, as I don't, long as, I don't, if you're going to acknowledge you, that, I don't know how Florida, you, I don't know ahead. how you quanti- I don't know how you quantify exactly Blue Bloods. Like, are we just going the old? Um, you know, Michigan, Notre Dame, those, you know, Texas, those old, old, old programs, Ohio State. But I just think outside of our bubble, Florida and Florida State and Miami, for the most part, are all just kind of viewed right around the same, the same worth if, if you're getting outside of the state of Florida. Like everybody kind of views them as right around the same. And everything that I've ever seen, obviously I've only seen 20-ish years of, college football, everything that I've ever seen listing blue bloods always has them right around the same area. And it always kind of shocks me because Miami has two more titles than, than both of us, but it always has Florida state in Florida and Miami in that 11 to 15 ish range. So well, that was why I was again, so shocked when, to, when to I said that. Spoil and- a future podcast, but <laughs> I, while I think championships are the biggest factor in what determines it, I think that you also need to look at uh, facilities, strength of the athletic program as a whole, history of the university, all of those things. And in the, if you take all of those into account, Florida State and Miami would far lag behind Florida. But. So Again, are we talking current facilities with with regard to the longstanding blue blood status of a program? I think that – Because like Kentucky has better facilities than Florida and Florida State. Kentucky Miami. does not have better facilities than Florida and Florida State. Yes. They might have better facilities than Florida State. I have not been in Florida State in a long time, but I promise you they do no, not they, have better facilities They have some of the Florida. best facilities. I mean that, that is what I'm saying. Like – are we talking Florida's facilities right now makes them a better blue blood over the last 80 years? No, like I, I just, think Florida's facilities for the last 80 years contribute to making it. I think always having your the, an emphasis on sports for 100 years is part of what makes you a blue blood. 
I, I mean, I think it's just winning. Again. I think I think it's just I think what matters in this sport is winning, and I think I think I, that's what matters the most. But I just think there are other factors that I don't know that differentiate. And I, I also would say I don't yeah, think that putting, there's a. I'm not putting facilities in there at all. Okay. Well, again, we'll save it for our discussion because we will have one, and I want a poll, but. I mean, I'm we're not good doing for any tonight, kind of poll because I think this show gets like 90% Gator fans. So we can have somebody outside of our circle of influence do the poll. I mean, I'm fine with that. I <laughs> would assume that the answer would be the same regardless of who does the poll. But if you would prefer to have someone else do it, then that's fine. Yeah. So we'll just make sure that we don't have ESPN do it since that's the first thing I clicked on and they said that both teams were. <laughs> okay. Make sure that we don't. We'll keep them out of the poll. I don't know what they know okay. about sports. Um, all right. On that note, I'll let you get out of here before you dig yourself any right. deeper. I will talk to you later. <laughs> if you guys have any comments, questions, concern, send them to TJ. Unless they're positive, you can send them to me at uh, TJ underscore Pittinger or Allie underscore Peak. My husband is so pissed that we've been married for almost eight years, and I still go by Allie Peak. But what are you going to do? At least we didn't name a podcast after it. So. All right, right, cool. We'll do it again next week. Sounds like a plan. 